you know, I'd walk into like a Chiba hut or something there and I'd just get a free sandwich because the person there like knew my music or whatever. <laughs> so it's like they were headbanging to you the other day. Yeah, exactly. So there was stuff like that. I just felt like a bit of a rock star there. So that was kind of cool. Um, and moving to San Francisco, a lot of that got removed from my from my life, which is, you know, feels a little strange coming from Denver. But what I noticed here is the level of intelligence of the general person that I hang around here is so fucking high because everyone here like went to Stanford and Yale and MIT and shit and they're just all here working at Google and Facebook and whatever. They're super intelligent and it's really nice to be the dumbest person in the room. Right? Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh. I'm also editor-in-chief of the Unst.com. Bill's guest today is Joshua Hernandez, a.k.a. Z. He's a futurist and entrepreneur and runs a label, Noise.fm. He also used to be Bill's manager, and I'm not jealous. It's not like weird that Bill had a long and deep conversation with his ex. I don't feel weird. Why would I feel weird about that? All jokes aside, Z used to run a label called Section Z Records, which launched the careers of Savant, Virtual Riot, and this guy, Deadmau5, ever heard of him? Anyway, Z is a super interesting dude, and this conversation goes all over the place. Really fun one. A quick note for all the audio files out there. We had a little bit of trouble with the record on Z's side, but I promise that the information on artist management and labels is so engrossing, you're not even going to notice it, but just a heads up. Jump into the Patreon if you want to support the show. Members get early access to episodes as well as some really cool perks. And if you were on the lookout this past week, we did some extra weird shit. Thanks to everyone supporting the show and keeping us going. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash Mr. Bill's Tunes. Finally, please head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, access to nearly 30 sample packs, and so much more. All right, here's Bill's chat with Joshua Hernandez. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 cool man well yeah thanks for coming on the podcast i appreciate it um before we start i I feel like um i never introduce guests properly i always just go like all right what's up and then just like start a conversation about the latest thing i've seen or whatever but um i should introduce you first so you were my manager for a long time you're the person who got me my first visa to move to america which i'm still really thankful for and you manage still to this day savant and you were a uh, dead mouse's manager for a while back in the day i believe i wouldn't call it manager i'd call it like uh fellow experimentalists like none of us had any clue what the fuck we were doing back then still don't right right <laughs> um and you manage sultan 
who's a dubstep guy and a bunch of other people and, and whatnot. And you also, for a long time, ran Section Z Records, which released my albums IRL and Settling for Mediocrity. And then uh, now you're running your own other things, Zion or Noise or whatever? Uh, well, Zion's the management practice and then Noise is the uh, development label. Right, um, right. So shifted a lot since the last time we spoke i think that i've moved more towards the mentorship label side of things now the COVID's hit us pretty hard right mm-hmm. um everybody was looking for a new way to figure out what the fuck they were doing and i've been putting off starting a new label for a long time um really wasn't satisfied with uh you know where section z was uh back because i had split time between managing and, and the label and it was a complete fucking total disaster yeah i feel like starting a label for me at least it was much like starting a diet it's one of those things where i would like never start it and then three months down the line i'd be like fuck if only i'd started three months ago i would be like this far in like to progress by now you know and then i just kept doing that and then one day i was just like you know what fuck it i'm just gonna start it today and then just started putting together a va and then started putting together releases from friends of mine that i liked and stuff and now it's been a year and a bit and the label's going pretty well um yeah i think labels are i guess the reason i didn't want to start it for a long time or that i sort of procrastinated from it was because i kept having this internal sort of argument with myself where i was like ah you know um there's so many labels already and i would just be sort of adding to the pile of bullshit on the internet that's already out there and so on and so forth it's kind of like like why should i start a label like there's already a million good ones out there and so on and so forth but then i guess eventually i started it and now i'm pretty happy that i did and it makes a lot of sense because to me what's miss, missing from the discussion about what labels are especially like independent electronic music labels uh is very collection of community and culture right it's it's not just some services that uh go, to, go towards catering to a genre or whatever it's literally folks who in your case travel the world, know a fuckload of musicians, get introduced to new music and new sound all the time. And it gives you the opportunity to show the world what it is that you're listening to and to bring those people together. That's what these labels are supposed to be. Not some, you know, bro fest, um, you know, with step one marketing, step two marketing, let's all turn to video gamers now that we can't tour. Uh, It should be, I mean, granted, y'all have been gaming for a long time. Oh. So no, I, was a, I was a video game while I was touring. A video, video gamer. I did <laughs> right. that. The video game that I've uh, started playing lately is just chess. Ooh, strategic as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I've, I've got a PC that I built at the start of quarantine that has a 2080 Ti on it, in it, and I literally just use it to play chess on chess.com. It's it's rendering at least 60 frames per second though right or is 120 the thing now because i I know that next gen it's all 120 frames per second uh i just sold a monitor actually like a few days ago that was 240 hertz which i actually bought when i first moved here it was the first monitor i bought when i moved to america how are you able to deal with less refresh rate No, no no it was more refresh rate it was 240 hertz no, but, but you, you sold it. Do you still have a 240 hertz refresh rate monitor? No. So the reason I had the 240 hertz one is because I was playing Counter-Strike. So I wanted I wanted it for that because I, right. I, I was super... You need a lot of frames to kill people in that game. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, but now I don't play that game, so I just I have like a giant 4K monitor in my studio now, and that's it's really nice. I like it a lot, and it's fine. It works really well for my purposes. Why well, just stop gaming, or at least Counter Strike? <clears throat> um, I just kind of got sick of it. I got burnt out on it. Um, it's pretty toxic. Like the people in it are toxic, uh, and I yeah, I just didn't really feel like it was doing a lot for me. Whereas chess, I feel like it works my brain in like a really nice way and um, the people in there are like not toxic, you know, when literally no one talks to you. Like when you play somebody else in Counter-Strike, right? Or like a, it's usually five by five, like a 5v5 game. And usually like as soon as the server starts, everyone's just shooting each other and calling each other fuck boys and like, you know, you right. everyone's... I've been, I've been, I've been. Yeah, I was early, early Counter-Strike. Yeah, if you oh, want to know uh, who's fucking your mum, it's a great game to play. But, uh, That's information that I think is useful to most gamers, which is why it's so prevalent in the scene. Yeah, they're like, I need to know who's having sex with my mother. I better download yep. the newest Counter-Strike. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Have you have you partaked in the Among Us game? Uh, no, but Phonon was telling me about it, the guy who wrote um, Polyrhythm. Polyrhythm. What did you think of Polyrhythm? So I had the opportunity to hear a lot of this dude's music really early before it got released because he was uh, doing stuff with audio records and I was helping out Michael for a little bit over there. He released a lot of Jewel stuff, which was dope. Um, and I thought that it was the most capricious fucking thing I'd heard in a long time, which was a good thing because it meant that people are sitting down to actually like listen and discuss what's going on Versus, like, do the same thing as everybody else is doing, right? But in and of itself, what I liked the most from what happened with that track was it really started to bring together a cadre of producers. Uh, and they started to mess around on purpose with the time signatures and bounce stuff off of each other, which to me, that's how genres are born. And I hadn't seen that kind of movement in a long, long time. You know, um, you'll see it off of a certain sound or when a plugin comes out, but like a song sparking that, be it, you know, a well-produced song, a good song or whatever it is, whatever taste you have, it did that for the scene. And I thought that was cool. Yeah, it was kind of interesting, like how much interest it sparked. Uh, like, I think the song is pretty cool. Uh, I So I think that happens on a daily or weekly basis but it happens so slowly right like all of the new dubstep songs coming out or the new rhythm songs coming out or whatever they're all like slightly newer than the stuff preceding it um for the most part at least uh but yeah they proceed at such a slow rate and i guess that kind of just like jumped a bunch of boundaries the, the reason for that is simple uh producers are too stuck doing one genre for too long they gotta jump around a little bit more yeah you why know? do you think that is though like why do you think people stick it's, to the same genre for so long just just how the crowds work you know uh so you the think fans are really what are dictating what people are listening to truly right hmm. well i uh, i think to some degree right like people um feel the need to fit in with their tribe and that's important because if you don't and you get ousted then you you die right so i think to some degree the need for approval is just in intrinsic within everyone and it's 
I don't think anyone is naturally or normally like strong enough emotionally to just do exactly their own unique thing with zero approval from anyone. Well, because that's impossible. That would mean that you're a tree in a forest and nobody's hearing you fucking scream or fall or whatever you do in space first. Oh, yeah. What do you reckon about the tree falling in the forest thing? Do you think that it makes a noise or no? Uh, scientifically, yes. I mean, we can't. Just because you're not there doesn't make it true. not true. And I think that is the lesson that the internet needs to learn. But don't, don't you think that um, sound only exists in the brain? Uh, no, it's, it's our interpretation of sound that we're hearing, right? Like there's a physical reaction in space-time that makes a sound that eventually reaches our ears. So it happens before we even exist. But I guess if you're not there to experience it and call it sound, then it doesn't exist, right? It's kind of like a song to me when I'm not interacting with it right now doesn't exist. Well, it's but it's still a song on Spotify's database somewhere, you know. Eventually, uh, even at the most microscopic level, something's going to hear it, you know. What about the microbes that live next to that tree that fed that tree for, you know, a hundred years? Did they not hear the tree fall and suffer its death and feel its pain? I mean, if they're complicated enough organisms to have ears or brains that can even translate stuff into electric signals in the brain to comprehend sound. But sound for us, for sure, does not happen in the ears. It happens or and it doesn't happen around us. It happens in the brain. But it's it, it's also uh, the physical response that that adds to that. Right. Like, which is why, like, you know, people like to get in front of the speakers to get blown away by the bass noises. I mean, to some degree, it's a physical response, but I mean, like, also a physical response of sound, like a very loud set of speakers um, that are playing at you will also, right. like, vibrate the hairs on your arm, right? But that doesn't cause you to hear anything. But I wasn't at that festival. Does that mean that the music didn't play? Uh, for you, it didn't. Right. But still, still did. I think we're all just a festival in the forest somewhere <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> we're all just a bush doof <laughs> just a fucking bush on fire <laughs> in the forest do, do, you, right. do you know about bush doofs i do not please so, educate me so there are these things in australia this is kind of where i came up with electronic music um pretty much you go out to the bush and there's like 200 people max like it's pretty small and you have to go on the internet or find a phone number or whatever, and they'll text you instructions on how to get there, or, you, or there's like a forum that you have you to... You mean s- a rave? It's not a, so it's not really a rave, it's kind of a rave, but it's just for Psytrance, and it's much smaller than a rave. Okay. And it's full of like... Uh, it's important enough to have its own branding of event. Yeah, you know, you know like where they throw sticks for fun? It's like three hours further than that into the bush and then it's amazing (laughs) and it's yeah it's the strangest shit and you know how like at a regular rave in america it's like full of wooks or whatever it's like a whole different class of wooks because in australia there's these other things called bogans and they're kind of it's hard to explain to to americans what a bogan is it's kind of like uh, a redneck but they're more middle class and they're more like bigoted 
I guess, in this, like, they're way more racist, and they're, or they're, they're way more casually racist, I guess, and they're... Yeah, because Wooks typically aren't racist. Right, so Bogans, who are also, like, Wooks in Australia, who go to these Psytrance parties, they're generally not racist either, they're, but they're somewhere between a Bogan and a Wook, and it's really hard to explain the breed, but uh, it's, yeah, it has its own flavor, for sure, and it's really difficult to explain without going to one. Wook culture is interesting. Um, I actually found it derogatory for a while until oh. they until I saw that they embraced it themselves. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be derogatory, but then Wooks kind of were just like, fuck it, we're, we're Wooks. Just like the uh, the insane clown posse fans, man. They they are an entire sub-genre <clears throat> of culture, and they own it. Oh, yeah, the Juggalos? The Juggalos, yeah. Love the Juggalos. Have you ever been to a... a insane clown posse festival i have not but i've been to an insane clown posse concert um by way of being there with other people and enjoyed the shit out of it i'll be honest with you you if you had fans like this you wouldn't ever lose a night of sleep because these people will fucking burn down a building for you Mm. this is the kind of fan you want to build not a genre fan that like tells you what to do you want this kind of fan that evangelizes for you. That's the why, best kind of fan. Why do you think they built up that kind of fan base? Like, what, what is it about them that people are able to identify with so hard that they built up this insane fan base that will, will burn down buildings for them? Very similar to what happens with the Trump uh, uh, voter and supporter. Uh, they are on the defensive so much uh, that... It just builds that reality distortion field um, around them. And because they're on the defensive so much, uh, they are just constantly fighting. So I, I think it's, it's, it's the same thing, you know? Uh, you reckon they're first, on the defensive? At, Sorry, go on. Uh, Juggalo's not anymore. I think that they have become an accepted part of uh, subculture in the world. And... Uh, you know, now even a beacon of hope against other brainwashed uh, cultures. But uh, yeah, that's 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 what I think is going on with that fan base on the defensive and fighting all the time. So that's why they're so hardcore. Right. And do you think that they're on the defensive so much and and whatnot because of the way they dress? Uh, in the beginning, everything from the music they listen to, the way they dress, the things they believe in because of the stuff that they listen to and the way that they dress versus, you know, what the norms are. So, yeah, for sure. Right. And you think, like, when there's a ton of people who all are into the same thing and they're all constantly having to defend themselves from normal C or normal people because a bunch of normal people are going like, this is dumb, you're all fucking idiots. When they get mm-hmm. together and like find a community of people, of, of other people who are into the same shit, you think it just kind of like snowballs into this thing where they all just agree. That's that where the endorphin is- hits. That's where it's like, you found people that agree with you now. You're in community. So all that fighting, all the fucking sweat and tears is worth it because you found your kin now. So it's that it's that endorphin release amongst the fan base, which is why it's important to have concerts and festivals and bring your fans together, which is why it's so hard to exist right now. Um, although the really smart ones are bringing them together on Discord for years now, like, you know, um, they didn't wait until last minute to care about their fucking fans. 
Yeah, I thought it was funny at the start of COVID. I mean, I guess it like made total sense, but it was like this thing that I feel like I've been doing for years and I don't want to like sound like an elitist or like I did it first and I'm better than everyone or whatever, but this yeah, thing- people that, should pay you to figure this shit out is what they should do. <laughs> yeah, the shit I've been doing for years though, like streaming my music production on Twitch, which I've been doing since like 2014 or having a Discord server, which I've had since 2015 or 2016 and, um, you know, all of these like weird internet side alley things uh, are things that just at the start of COVID, everyone just was like, all right, we accept that's the norm now. And just everyone jumped onto having a Discord server and streaming on Twitch, it seemed like. Right, except we can't all have Discord servers. <laughs> I mean, yes, we can, but eventually just like everything else, you know, there's there are musicians that make absolutely terrible teachers. They, they oh yeah but i mean discord just constructing yeah discord servers are not for teaching so much so it's more just like a i think of a sort of like a facebook artist page thing you know like a like a facebook group based around an artist i look at it sort of similar to that except discord just has a little bit more functionality i feel like i i hear the teachers that are using discord and uh the remote learning process are thriving uh because of the amount of tools and things that are available versus like Zoom or some lockdown Microsoft or Google product or education. Mm, but yeah, anyway, and kids love fucking Discord. I mean, my, that's how my son keeps in touch with all of his friends. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely becoming the, it's the norm for gamers for sure. Um, before that, it was IRC. Before that, it was AIM. Before that, it was fucking whatever. It's yeah, going to yeah. be other stuff later. Right. Yeah, what, where, you, where do you see all this COVID for musician stuff going? I think this is the biggest opportunity that we've ever seen um, in the last 10 years because everything was pretty much like on rails and it was on rails to the point where like everything is on rails, marketing, announcements, even fucking music making is on rails, right? You mean like uh, everything was sort of stuck on tracks and like you, it yeah. was really hard for people to diverge from those tracks and really hard to to change the way that we um, like distribute music or make music or, or whatever. But at the same time, you had like, you know, a million people come online. It, the barrier to entry was, became nothing, you know. Uh, virality and that whole thing made it possible for you to just circumvent marketing. Influencer marketing made it possible for you to circumvent, uh, you know, traditional marketing. And all that just hit, it hit, it hit a fucking wall pretty hard. Um, insofar as that there are folks out there that are natural to this world. And there are folks out there that are out there because they're favors to agents, to other managers with the power and influence. And suck up a lot of airtime and they're not in the way anymore. So you don't see it on social. You don't see uh, uh, new fans and folks coming online, you know, wasting time in these doldrums. They're going directly to these artist sources that are showing their production, talking to their fans on Discord, you know, creating new content all the fucking time. Uh, they've just decided to release their entire catalog for the next two years because fuck it, everything sucks anyway, right? And and the fans are the ones that benefit from it. So I think it's a huge opportunity to reset who you are, who your fans are, get to know them, cater to them, 
Um, and then they're the ones who drive ticket sales. So agents and buyers will have no choice but to book the people that have the active fan bases that are going to buy the tickets. Because another thing that's going to be fucking scarce out there for a little while is money. So making decisions like this is going to be very important. It's not, it's not, you're going to have your choice of four dubstep shows in Philadelphia tonight. Uh, you have a very limited budget in these next 10 years. You are supporting your artists directly with your dollars via Patreon, um, via, you know, a, a million different ways. So I think it's, it's an opportunity for artists to really understand that that's the conversation they need to be having with their fans. That's the most important thing. Um, you can't see them, but they're still fucking there, you know? And it's really sad to see that some folks, um, and a lot of them have like broken out of that pattern I've seen over the last couple of months, especially. In the beginning, they were like, well, I'm not doing no live stream cheap ass shit. Well, fuck you then. Some kid uh, in his garage is going to beat you because you don't feel that the things in the industry or in the world are good enough for you to fucking release music. What kind of an artist are you, you know? So that's kind of how I look at it. I think it's a big opportunity for new music. I think it's a huge opportunity for new genres, which is I'm, I'm phenol hunting genres right now. Um, and I'm doing it in a very untraditional way. I'm looking at the location first. Like what are kids that are working together doing, right? Versus like what's hot on SoundCloud or like who's the latest viral fucking artist that everybody likes. Fuck all that. I want to find brand new, brand new sound. Stuff that people who think that they need to behave a certain way for their fans uh, wouldn't have the balls to do. Uh, because they're locked into a genre versus locked into a relationship with their fans. That's the difference. Right. Anyway. I'm no, it's good. This is what we're, it's what we're here for. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, uh, I think this is a pretty good opportunity for the music industry to change in positive ways. And I agree with you. I think that before all of this shit was like pretty preset as to how it would all happen. Uh, and I think I was a hundred percent falling into that preset mentality. I was like, oh, I have to, like, there's no point in putting albums out anymore. You know, you might as well just do singles and, uh, EPs because that's nuts, but I understand why you would fall into that. Right. Yeah, pretty much the way I'm looking at it now is I'm, I'm also with you. I don't think there's going to be any sort of like going back to normal touring schedules or whatever until, yeah, definitely not for the rest of this year and probably not for most of next year as well, I would say, or at least until late late next year. Um, so I'm pretty much like hunkering down, I think, to just go hard on educational content and sample packs at this point. I was sort of like hanging out at the start of the year, just like, oh, this will be a few months of like working on tunes and doing a bit of streaming and just chilling and having a much needed break from touring and stuff like that. And then it'll probably all go back to normal by like, you know, September, October. That's kind of what I was thinking. Even when people were saying they were like rescheduling shit until like June. Remember that? When like everything got shut down at the end of March and, and everyone was rescheduling shows for like early June, early July. And I was like... Three tours completely got it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh no, that's fucking not going to happen i was definitely thinking like at least september october but even september october was fucking massively optimistic i guess and um yeah no i think i'm with even i think end of next year is like feels optimistic even at this point there's still 
a lot we don't know. And sadly, that's just kind of how, how it works on that front. But at least in the United States, man, um, we got we got some political issues to overcome before uh, we get people behaving the way that we need to. Uh, but the other thing, too, these driving shows, you know, uh, they could become a very normal part of how this shit works. It's outside. It's loud. You're with your friends. Um, you know, uh, what it does give the producer is a lot more room on the dance floor, huh? Mm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Which feels kind of sketchy from a producer's perspective, to be honest. Like when you're up on stage, you don't want to see big holes in the crowd. You want to see a fucking sea of heads. I stopped dancing personally when the floors got too crowded at the clubs. So I don't mind a little bit of space. It's really, oh, yeah, about, for, it's really about what the DJ wants to fucking do there. For the dancers, I think it's good for sure. For the for the people on stage, it feels awkward. The, because they're so used to just seeing the pictures of all the headbangers, you know. Well, it just feels like more validating and like you're more warranted in doing what you're doing when there's a large group of people, you know. That's that's how I feel about it, but yeah, I might be wrong. Hey, I got a question for you. Um, I, I made a tweet the other day about this, and uh, it's a problem that I've just had for a long time, and I can't figure out how to deal with it. I have a whip folder that's got like 200 plus whips in it that are like anywhere from 70 to 80% finished tunes, some even 90 to 95% finished, to stuff that's like, you know, maybe... 30 to 50% finish. So there's like a wide range of like completion in there. But it's like 200 or so tracks and I just don't know what to do with them. Um, I'm trying to figure out like how to turn it into like releases. But I get, I always get, this is like we were talking about before with the, uh, um, like the the industry how it was like kind of stuck on rails and shit and, and i was like uh, i don't want to put all these out as an album right and i don't know what ep they should go on and i don't i don't think they're good enough for singles like there was all these weird conversations and fucking limiting belief systems or whatever the fuck that i was like telling myself and i'm still sort of stuck in that mindset i think from the industry being that way for so long and i'm still trying to figure out what to do about it all well that sounds like an a and r's dream Right. So like if I was a and this goddamn folder, uh, I'd be looking forward to over 200 tracks to sort through. So one, that's number one. Got to sort through it. Got to figure out like what what cataloging you can do to it. Second, um, you know, I, I, I have seen this problem many times, um, despite the meme that went viral yesterday about the whole like you should have at least 15 tracks thing. Um. And my advice has always been, uh, don't, don't just rush it out, right? Like you got to package it up somehow. If it's a compilation of songs I never finished, right? For your fans. Um, or if it's a, uh, support files for a sample pack that you've put together or whatever the case may be, you need a plan for it that content so of course you're fucking overwhelmed with 200 plus tracks probably more than that actually uh so it's it's really about the packaging man 
Uh, well, I yeah, saw... no, I understand that, but I guess that's where I get stuck is like how to package it up because I, yeah, I keep thinking about like catalog first because because without understanding the breadth of how you can divide these things up, you know, uh, it's going to be difficult to figure out what projects. But the other thing too is uh, work with your work with your manager at the A and R level and 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 see what you can work on in the immediate sense, man. Fucking to have that many slugs to work from is a blacksmith's dream, you know? Yeah. We've been trying to go through it, but it's just a lot. Um, for instance, like how do you catalog something like this? Do you do it by genre or do you just do it by feel or like it's, there's a lot of questions to ask, I guess, where I, I, I would do it by, uh, I would do it by a couple different ways. Right. I do it by genre. I do it by tempo. I do it by key. Right, the simple scientific stuff out of the way first. Then I divide it into, well, these would be good for video games, or these would be good loops, or these would be good like uh, uh, soundtracks for, uh, you know, random YouTube videos. This would be good to throw into publishing, like blah blah blah. Mm, and um, would you do all of this in folders on your, uh, like in Explorer or Finder, or would you do all of this in, say, like a spreadsheet? Um, I mean, this is going to sound really pathetic but I'd probably just like use like Winamp <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, and use the metadata. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. So. I use, use a spreadsheet for this. This is obviously a spreadsheet's job mm. uh, to catalog. And, and, and maybe that's the cheapest, fastest, quickest way to do it is to spreadsheet. But maybe there's, you know, a, a uh, photo cataloging or, or archival system that can help you understand your content better. Mm. yeah i need to figure out a way to to sort this out because it's something that's been driving me fucking mental for like well over a year or more where i'm just i kind of just always am looking at it and just don't know what to do with it and it's just a lot to deal with and it also gives me like mental blocks i've talked to a few people about this and like one thing i mean i tweeted about it right and um matt lang uh, responded with like you literally should just delete it all and <laughs> start again because that's it's just savage be- I love Matt well because it's just going to be a mental block right and I totally understand that because it, it literally is like whenever I'm like oh okay I should start a new tune there's always this sort of mental part of me being like well maybe I shouldn't start a new tune because I have so many to work on but then I'm like well what one do I work on and I'm like hmm, I don't really want to work on any of them to be honest because you know I want to start a new thing but I also They'd be don't done want... if you wanted to work on it exactly yeah um and but at the same time I don't want to start a new thing because I don't want to add to this fucking messy pile that's adding to this mental sort of stress of having too many unfinished things floating around on my hard drive, you know? Collaboration slugs. I'm pretty sure you're going to meet more than 200 people in the next fucking 10 years. I've thought about that too. Like, yeah, maybe I should just, um, uh, yeah, give it to people to, to work on or whatever. You know what would be cool? On your label. Like every, every artist that you introduce or that you have on the label has to collab with you. So like here, you just choose from these. Here, pick one of these 250 songs. Let's collab on one of these. And just you know? like hand it off and try and get them to finish it. Right. It's funny because it's just like, yeah, basically pushing the mental stress of it from me to them. So I can be like, all right, I can stop thinking about it now. They're now going you... to learn so much shit in the process. Like the reason that I send any artists over to you at all ever is so that they can learn how to fucking mix. Mm, right. um, you know, that's 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 key. I remember with, with Valentin back in the day. Um, His my, mix sounds are great now. Well, now they're amazing. 
but like pri- I, you know, pre-Mr. Bill, Fleck, I'd like to say that they were okay, you know? Right. But then yeah, again, he think... was a fucking kid too. That's another yeah, thing that people yeah, don't he's... realize. Yeah, he was young at that time. He was still in school, I think, when we wrote Thwack. Uh, it was it was at least at university. I think the only reason he collaborated with me is because his classmates thought I was cool or something. Everybody knows who you are, Bill. At least on the producer side of things, folks have been learning for you from fucking years. Yeah, I need to make more educational content, to be honest. I've been slacking on that side of things. Um, have you yeah, checked maybe. out Sultan's tutorials? I've seen one of them, yeah, the one where he, like, teaches you how to draw waveforms in audio or whatever, or teaches you how to draw your name in audio. Now you can have the gimmick, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting, to, for sure. It's pretty pretty clever what he did. I think it would be interesting for you guys to collab on a, on a tutorial. Yeah, we've tried collaborating on music, but he, um, he didn't respond. I mean, he did how respond. About, how long like, ago was that? That was years ago. He, I mean, initially he responded and we, we were talking about it for like, I don't know, a little while. And then, uh, I guess probably like the fucking, some, some protests or revolution happened in Iran and he was offline for three months. Like there's always something like that. Where is he now? Toronto. Interesting that he decided to go to Toronto instead of America. Why not America? So we had the, the original plan, 100%, was America. We, get, we were going to work the visa and all that shit. And then Trump won, doubled down on Iran sucks. Um, then the problem because, becomes he couldn't walk into the embassy there to get, a, uh, to get the interview because then he's going to be flagged over there. Now he's got two problems, right? Um, so we just waited and Canada... Thankfully, as a uh, immigrant accepting company, or country, cat company, uh, was convenient. And, you know, there's a huge Persian population uh, in Toronto and a lot of community there. Um, and plus, you know, good music industry there for somebody with his skills. Right. Um, we're excited about it. That's it's uh it's a huge huge change covid obviously like slowed plans down uh, a little bit but uh the dude has been working so hard to become like what i hope is a essential story for you know global electronic music uh working his way out of iran um, mm, to yeah. <laughs> to two main stages uh and now living in toronto yeah, and what like how how does it work for an Iranian trying to um, get out of Toronto to come into America to play shows? I mean, not that you can do that right now anyway, but like how how is that going to work in the future? Is it going to be pretty tough? We need it's simple. Once there's a tour booked and and you can prove to the immigration service here that people want you to come to this country to make money here, then they'll let you in. It's simple. Very simple. Yeah, I've kind of noticed that about the visa process. It's kind of like if, if you can just prove to the government that you'll make some money and pay tax here and stuff like that, they're like, all right, you can come in. Like, here's, it's pretty much here's just, the dynamic we work with your visa, right? Um, hey, can we start to look at what a tour looks like? You know, can we start to look at what the next three years looks like? And this is important because that's what you're getting the visa for, 
right? Um, but it's not just on touring. You have to look at things like production as well, right? So when we did your visa, Savant's visa, fucking Wales visa, Sultan's visa even, um, all the collaborations, who they were working with, we, we always made sure that that was as formal as possible um, to, you know, have, have it be a part of the visa process. Right, yeah. Yeah, the visa process is fucking mental, man. I'm currently going through trying to get my green card here, and it is expensive. That's, that's a whole different process. So, yeah. so you are going to stay in the United States for the rest of your career? I'm gonna try. I mean, if I can, if I can get a visa and and whatnot, that a, or a green card rather, then yeah. I mean, I would I would like to stay here for longer because my current visa, I believe, runs out in January or February 2021, so it's not not that long. Um, and I yeah, I don't I don't really want to leave like in how, what's that six months from now? Yeah, roughly. you don't have to leave. I know that there's there's a another 90 days and a bunch of other stuff yeah but i mean what's 90 days you know it's like um i want to figure out a solution before it gets to that you know <laughs> i don't want to have 90 days left on my legal clock and then be like oh fuck i gotta figure something out and you know green card process isn't going to happen in 90 days it, it it can happen in two weeks if you got the money <laughs> so well kind of but i mean Oh, no, green card. You said green card. I'm talking about visa. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, different a little different. Process. Green green card. Like you different. actually have to study the, uh, like, what it means to be a citizen and all this other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, it's basically the path to American citizenship. You get a green card and then you hang around here for long enough and then you either marry a, uh, an American or um, – just stay here for long enough and then take a citizenship test, I think, uh, after you've like established pretty strong residence here. Mm -hmm. And then I think you can get to citizenship that way. I would never want to renounce my Australian citizenship, I think, but, um, why would you do that? Well, I'm no, I'm saying I wouldn't want to do that, but I would like to become an American citizen because it would like eliminate this in like, there's no way that I, like my the the biggest portion of career that I have is in America, right? So there's like huge reason for me to want to stay here, or at least be able to legally come and work here. You still um, paying taxes and shit in Australia, or what? Yes, so I pay taxes. In, yeah, it's <laughs> so kind you of pay taxes twice. Well, so okay, so there's a thing called a foreign tax credit, which means um, if I uh, earn money from an Australian business I pay taxes in Australia and then send the money over to America when the money hits the American account uh, I think or, or I know rather um, w when the money hits the American account you can be like hey I already paid taxes on this money in Australia and then they're like okay and they check with Australia how much you paid and then they go alright we'll send that amount over as foreign tax credits so you don't have to pay that amount again but if the taxes that you then have to pay in America are higher you have to make up the difference but if the taxes you pay in America are lower than the taxes you paid in Australia you don't get back the difference so this it's sound, like this sounds fantastic for like you know a corporation with like at least 10 plus employees but you know for the independent musician it's quite fucking complicated it is very complicated yeah it's super crazy to have you've heard you've heard of the uh business management firms like icon in la things like that like artists make sure that if you're not getting the shit go and get some help 
And not all managers are financial managers, like for example, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I've got a team of people helping me just with financial shit for sure, because it's so complicated um, dealing with having a business set up in Australia and America and yeah, it's fucked. But anyway, um, that, that's another reason to become a citizen here, right? Like just move everything over here in terms of business and stuff like that. And then I don't have to deal with like the inner country um, tax stuff as much. And, you know, I can just freely travel between Australia and America without having to worry too much about getting it, visas all the time and stuff like that. Yeah. If it fits your lifestyle and your profile, that's good. Usually I advise stay close to friends and family. You know, that's important, especially in times like these, but you're, but my, you're a different my, character for sure. But I mean like, yeah. So I'm not sure how much I want to get into this on the podcast, but to be honest, I don't get along with my family that much. Uh, yeah like i i mean i you know appreciate my family and stuff but hanging around them one day every few years is enough for me (laughs) oh yeah um yeah and i mean we keep in touch on the internet and stuff as much as i you know as much as i feel like we (laughs) we need to um and other than that i mean all my friends are for sure in america like i i I mean i got a lot of friends in australia too but but at this point, it, yeah, I feel, I feel way more at home in America, I think. And every time I go back to Australia, I'm always like, fuck, this feels weird to be back here. Like right. it, it feels like a regression to go back there. It's a beautiful place, uh, but you got to follow. You got to follow your career. You know, that's that's what this game's about. Yeah, that's the thing that I'm passionate about. I'm definitely passionate about music and and you know teaching people about stuff and, and whatnot. And that definitely the there's a way bigger market for that here for me than there was in Australia. I mean, there's some people who can make it work in Australia, like for instance, Flume and Alice in Wonderland and Cosmos Midnight and Wave Racer and um, you know L L D R U and you know those kind of people. They they seem to be able to make it work over there, but. Yeah, for me, I could, I just couldn't make the electronic music thing work for me over there. And then as soon as I moved here, it started working fine. What took you to San Francisco from Denver? Uh, a relationship, yeah. <laughs> Typically. Yeah, I was in a relationship for a long time in Denver, and then that relationship ended, and I started a long-distance relationship um, with, a, with a girl, a woman here who's really cool, and then decided to move here. And San Francisco is an amazing city. Dude, it's so sick. I'm stoked that I moved here. Like, even beyond the relationship thing, which is, like, that was worth it alone for me, the city is so fucking cool, man. Like, I I was big into Denver for sure. Yeah. um, But I was big into it for, like, weird reasons, right? Like, I was into it because the electronic music scene there is cool. There's a lot of people there who are, you know, into um, the patrons there who are into electronic music are super into it. So it feels very validating as an artist to be there because you're constantly validated by people being like, what you do is amazing. And, you know, you see people in this, like, I, you know, I'd walk into like a Chiba hut or something there and I'd just get a free sandwich because the person there like knew my music or whatever. <laughs> so it's were, like, <laughs> they were headbanging to you the other day. Yeah, exactly. So there was stuff like that. I just felt like a bit of a rock star there. So that was kind of cool. Um, and moving to San Francisco, a lot of that got removed from my from my life which is you know feels a little strange coming from denver but what i noticed here is the level of intelligence of the general person that i hang around here is so fucking high because everyone here like went to stanford and yale and mit and shit and they're just all here working at google and facebook and whatever they're super intelligent and it's 
really nice to be the dumbest person in the room. Right. Like I, I feel like it's so, so virtuous to be able to sit around and learn from just conversation with people that are just hyper intelligent and just sit around all day digesting shit tons of information and are constantly learning and are constantly driven to learn and are constantly working on some of the hardest problems to solve and solving them. I, I think that's, yeah, that's one of the coolest. Like how to sell more ads. <laughs> well, that's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> if you're working at Facebook as a fucking monetizer, yeah, for sure. Bro, the best story I have in San Francisco was at the DNA Lounge. I got really fucked up. I wasn't there on tour or nothing. I was just there partying. And I get out and there's a car. It's like, Josh. And I was like, yep. And I get into the car and it was like an early Uber. This is a long time ago. It's like 10 years ago. And uh, I just got in. I told him where I was going. He took me to where I was going. And it turns out it was somebody else's ride. Because at the end of the ride, it's like, wait, because I, I got, gave him a call and told him that I was a wrong passenger. <laughs> so he's trying to take me back to the club. I was like, I'm not going back to the club. I'm staying right here. Get out of your mind. Yeah, one of the cool things about San Francisco is it's so small that you almost don't need to get Ubers. I mean, it's faster right. to get them, but I, like, you could jump on a lift bike and be anywhere you need it in 20 minutes. You know, like it's, it's not like Denver in that way where you need a car or LA where you need a car. Like San, Fran San Francisco is a city where you do not need a car. Your at calves all. get fucking amazing in San Francisco. Oh, the hills, man. Yeah, there's oh, a lot of hills. Jesus. You know, you know there's a native because the calves are just exploding out of their pants. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of hills here. And another thing I've noticed is like um in Colorado, right? Everyone's like, oh, the hiking here is amazing, and everyone's into mountain biking and hunting and shit. But I feel like people are more into that shit in San Francisco, which is weird because you think of it, it's like a city full of techies, right? But right. everyone I know here is into like hardcore, into backpacking and like right. canyoning and fucking mountain biking and like, hiking and shit. And the hiking in California is amazing. It's like... Unparalleled. Opinion, I, th I think it's better than Colorado's hiking for sure. Um, I, I miss you know, that the most because, you know, we, we lived out there for three years. Oh, in LA, LA yeah. Yeah, and then move back to Chicago because I miss my fucking friends and, I'm, mm. and I miss paying half of what I pay in mortgage right now. Yeah. Um, but that hiking was amazing. Dude, I lost like 60 pounds in four months there. Just, just hiking? Hiking and just walking. Yeah, it's insane. See, yeah, that's the other thing about California, right? It's, it feels very like, um, like health conscious, I guess. And I, I feel like I, I've lost a lot of weight here as well um, for various reasons. But, uh, yeah, I just, like, I feel much more health conscious here than I did in Colorado for whatever reason as well. Yep. Well, Colorado also has a very mature cannabis industry. So chilling out and eating junk is very, very high on the priority list. There's that. And it also has this whole like lumberjack beer industry as well, where everyone's <laughs> just kind of like hard working and then they're like, oh, we're going to go drink fucking nice craft beer, you know? And I was like super into the craft beer shit. So I was like eating, uh, sorry, drinking beer a lot there. You, you basically are eating beer. Some of oh. those craft beers are so high in calories. Yeah, exactly. I was pretty much eating beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. White Claw over here only right now, at least until the summer's over. <laughs> Yeah. How's the summer in Chicago? Is it super hot? It's It's been a nice one, actually. Uh, pretty fair, pretty mild. Uh, I think the hottest it's been up here this year has been 95. Mm. So we've been pretty lucky. 
Nice. Uh, but it's usually pretty stagnant air. Although that's actually shifted. That whole narrative in the last few years has shifted too. So it's really hard to even talk about the weather in stable patterns. Like, yo, you know, Chicago, it's like this. Nope. Everything's <laughs> wild and crazy now. Like, who the fuck knows what's going on? Right. Yeah. Th- so um, San Francisco is really cool in that way. It's all microclimates. So you can be mm-hmm. on one side of the city and it'll be sunny. And you go to the other side of the city and it's fucking foggy and raining. Have and you seen you- the, the uh, bubble rain yet? No, I don't think so. It's like uh, the place where I'd see it the most was around where the W Hotel and Moscone Center is Mm -hmm. for some reason around there. But it's like a rain that it's usually windy as well, but it's like a foam (laughs) turns into like a bubble foam. Like a mist? Yeah, but like, but not not your typical mist where you get the rainbows. It, It looked it just looked like falling, like, you know, bubbles, like foam. It's weird. Yeah, it's a crazy city, and yeah, it's so, so pretty, and there's just like a lot of cool shit here. So yeah, I'm very happy here, and I, it just makes me want to stay in America more for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, hey man, so I'm gonna go cook some food and shit, but like, it was it was awesome having you on, and I think we talked about some interesting shit. As usual, man. Anytime. Happy to contribute. Yeah. Um, do you want to send people who are listening anywhere to check out stuff? I do. I want folks, especially you producers, to go check out noise.fm, noise.fm, New electronic record label, we're doing 90-10 deals, uh, and eventually it goes down to 100% you, uh, because I'm powering all of the financials of this, the marketing, etc. I don't need to make money from artists, I make money from weed, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm doing that kind of deal and then I'm starting a YouTube channel where I'm paying artists to upload their music to my YouTube channel versus like them begging me to put it on you know Uh, and I want to change that whole dynamic um, when it comes to promoting your music on YouTube channels and and that kind of thing so check out Noise FM that sounds fucking awesome man I think like so real quick um i think one thing that you might find doing that is there's like a weird psychological thing that happens when you try to pay someone to do something versus saying they have to pay you to do it right um because the value system then gets fucked up in their mind so i think you might come across a little bit of that but otherwise i mean i think yeah 90 10 deals in favor of the artist eventually going to 100 percent artist and you paying artists to upload to your channels is amazing it's 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 crazy but what I'm trying to do is just throw new processes, new innovations in how this stuff should work, right? Um, versus uh, people getting the same deal that uh, a huge artist would get because they're going to make $10 million on the song, right? Like mm-hmm. we can't keep thinking in these ways. We have to think very differently as the artist grows and as they develop in their career um, and their fan bases. But yeah, man, that's a whole different conversation yeah fuck yeah well cool man thanks again alright my brother take care of yourself yeah you too hey thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast these episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com you can also support the show get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it and all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com thank you I'm a